It's episode number 477, and I'm going to tell you about a special breed of people. They're called Men of the Ross. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, welcome back. It's another week, another Monday. I hope you got out and you all got some long rides in. I was inspired by watching the updates on Twitter of our national cycling event all week, the Rust Halton. It's our version of the Tour de France here in Ireland. And I'm always cautious and I do always kind of run my podcast through this sanity check of seeing is this uh, suitable content for a worldwide audience because we've so many listeners and when I check the stats coming from all corners of the world and Ireland only represents a small number of our daily listeners and I'm not sure if it's I have hometown bias or it's just impossible to get away from how special and amazing the Ross is. I put out a podcast last week talking about how special the Ross is and what makes it so special and I got so many follow-up messages on Instagram over on Roadman dot cycling just saying to expand more give me some context as to the history how was the ross formed and what does it mean to be a man of the ross because this is a tag or a monocle that people throw around all the time and you don't get it with other bike races a lot of pro bike races when i was riding with uh, estellas in 2013 uh we'd, we'd go to a bike race and on the last stage people would pull out but with the Ross, no one wants to pull out because they want to get that medal. They want to get that tag, Man of the Ross. And to get the tag, Man of the Ross, you need to finish the Ross. The Ross finished yesterday, and everyone that finished is now a Man of the Ross. But before I go any further, just an honorable mention to the organizers, the volunteers, and everyone behind the scenes who makes that race just such a special race. I want to give you some context as to why the race is so important and unique. Sporting events, they've been used to make political statements for, you know, probably as long as there's been sporting events. They've been a way to assert this geopolitical dominance, a way to, you know, show your dominance without showing your dominance. Think back to how proud Hitler was to open the Munich Olympics. Granted, the smile was well and truly wiped off his face when he had to hand Jesse Owens a gold medal. Or think about Putin in uh, Sochi, the Winter Olympics, and we had the Icarus scandal, which was born off that, where systematic doping of Russian of Russian athletes for this Sochi Olympics. Such was the pressure to show their dominance on a political worldwide scene and we we seen that playing out in brian fogel's brilliant movie but cycling is no different the tour de jure d'italia and the vuelta they were first pitched as political instruments to show unity in countries which become melting pots of diversity and there was a lot of criticism to say that such diverse cultures and religions couldn't operate within the bounds of one country and the giro the tour and the vuelta were very much an instrument to answer that and say no we can we can come together and show unity so some context, and this is going to feel like a history lesson at points, especially for some Irish listeners who already know this context, but some context for listeners who are not Irish and haven't taken an interest in the Ross and are kind of wondering, has he lost his mind? Why is he given such coverage to a small race? But I promise you, it is worth the journey. So Ireland, we're on an island and we're divided up into 32 counties. 
Dublin is one county of the 32. It's the capital, and it's probably the one you've heard about. Our history on the island, it's one of conflict, and it's one of division with our neighbour, Great Britain. We had a war of independence in 1916. This kicked off at a historic location in Ireland now, the General Post Office, the GPO, on Dublin's O'Connell Street. In the capital city, right in the centre, we had a place called the GPO. The rebels went in and they took control of the GPO and this sparked off a war of independence in 1916. This war raged all the way through to 1922 and as part of the bloody truce to end the war, Ireland was divided into 26 counties to be governed by Ireland and the northern six counties were to remain under British control. This was the deal they struck. Now, some people liked this deal and others didn't like this deal. And the people who liked the deal... And the people who didn't like the deal, they sparked into a very violent and bloody civil war, which at at some points, you know, there's a brilliant movie on it, The Wind That Shakes the Barley. And that division, you know, ran right through families and a couple brothers on opposite sides of this civil war. And it was tragic. This civil war arguably continued until 1995 and the Good Friday Agreement, which brought an end to troubles and hostilities on the island of Ireland. Now, this all is important. I haven't decided to start a hardcore history podcast and compete with Dan Carroll, and this is all really important. Now, we do have inflection points in this story, and 1947 is one of these inflection points. Right now, Cycling Ireland is the governing body. They govern cycling in Ireland. But back in 1947, it was governed by the National Cycling Association, the NCA, now, they were a Republican-leaning ideology, meaning they, assert, they you know, asserted that we, they had control over the entire island of Ireland, all 32 counties, and they claimed control of cycling on the entire island of Ireland. So all 32 of those counties, they were controlling cycling on. This is despite the fact that Great Britain technically governed six of these counties. Now, you can imagine the British Cycling Federation, they weren't too impressed at all because cycling, the NCA, were governing on their domain. So, what did they do? The British Cycling Association decided to take a case to the UCI. This is some amount of acronyms in this story. I apologize for this. So, the British Cycling Association decided to take a case to the UCI, which is the governing body for world cycling. The NCA lost the case, British Cycling won the case, and the NCA were ordered to only operate in the 26 counties in Ireland. The NCA, you know, in typical, just such politicised, almost petulant fashion, decided they weren't going to abide by the UCI's ruling. The NCI totally refused to comply asserting their right to govern all 32 counties. And as a result, the UCI were left with no choice only to ban the NCA from all international cycling competitions and importantly to ban all NCA license holders from participating in UCI events around the world. So you had a bunch of talented cyclists at the time and they couldn't compete any races around the world really which were worth competing in. The UCI races are like every race we know. So they couldn't compete in this. So what happened? As a result in 1949, there was another, I've got to give you another acronym, the CRE, the Cumann Rochyach Naharan. These were set up and they were a new governing body that came along and they promised to play ball, to operate within the confines that the UCI found acceptable. They said, you know what, we'll only operate within the 26 counties on the Republic of Ireland. So the UCI backed them. 
And this effectively started a, a second civil war in Ireland. This started a cycling civil war. You could do a, a full podcast on this because the two federations now were competing in Ireland. No one really knew which was the dominant federation. We had one federation doing everything they could to stop the other federation at every point. So we're talking, uh, you know, thumbtack attacks out on the road where they're putting pins down on the road to puncture and disrupt other riders in the rival races. We had roadblocks. We had protests. We even had a bomb to disrupt other events. And this culminated in a protest at the Olympics where we actually had riders getting pushed off their bikes by fellow Irish riders to disrupt. It was just absolute insanity. But sport mirrors culture and it mirrors politics. And that is the insanity we had going on in the country at the time. So that coming rock yuck Naher and the CRE, that was born in 1949. So you can imagine the conflict is raging into the early 50s. And that's when the first Ross was. The first Ross was born in 1953. And in, you know, symbolism, I always think matters so much in sport. And in a symbolic gesture, they started the very first Ross in 1953 outside the General Post Office. That's the historic building I mentioned to you, which started the Irish Revolution when they took a hold of the GPO building. That was the very start of the war in 1916. So the Ross was born into this cauldron of republicanism and charged with political agendas And that's why it seated itself and almost bled itself into the Irish psyche. And people who are passionate Irishmen felt so strongly for this race. And the race really flew its Republican colours loud and proud. Like 1956 stands out as one obvious example of that. The race decided to plot a route into the six counties, which it wasn't entitled to do based on UCI's guidelines. But the kicker in it is the the lead car actually flew the Irish flag, the tricolour. And when they went into Northern Ireland, this just sparked chaos. The RUC, the police force up there, had to get involved and a full riot broke out. This is the historical context which makes the Ross so special for Irish riders. This is why they pass up promotions in work. This is why they forgo time with family. This is why they forgo time with friends. This is why they make huge monumental sacrifices each year to earn this tag or this monocle, Man of the Ross. Irish riders leave absolutely everything on the road each day. Foreign pros can rarely understand why the racing is so fierce into like a tiny town in the west of Ireland or sprinted for the first Kerry man. Riders want to stand out. They want to show themselves as they pass their local village. They want their friends to see them. They want their families to see them. And for this reason, the tactics inside of the Ross, they operate almost in a vacuum. The tactics operate outside the confines of a typical bike race where we have, you know, our general classification, our ute jersey, our mountains, our point jersey, because you have like things, prizes like first carry man, first county rider, which are totally unique to the Ross. And it's all part of this tapestry, which makes the Ross so special. We've only had four Irish winners of the Ross in the last 22 years. And I'm absolutely chuffed to say we have one again. In the last 22 years, we've had some stars, some icons, Kieran Power, Philip Cassidy, Stephen Gallagher. And now we have indoctrinated into the Ross Hall of Fame, Dara Feely. I'm super happy for Dara. Dara's a guy who I've been racing and I've seen Dara coming onto the scene. I think I've basically seen him like every season since he's come through into the senior ranks. 
he's a lovely guy and he showed great progression year on year coming back from Evo Pro to race on the domestic scene second in the Nationals last year and he's a fitting winner of the 2022 Ross Halton I just want to say again a tip to cap to the organisers the Ross is a race like a lot of bike races around the world it's suffered during the pandemic and I had to take a brief break but it's important it's important as a political statement it's important as a cultural statement and it's important because it's now entwined in our history cycling in Ireland and the Ross are inseparable we cannot do without the Ross so thank you so much to the organisers of the Ross to everyone who's involved in volunteering, driving support cars, sweeping corners, stopping traffic. You're the unsung heroes. You make the Ross possible. And also a massive shout out. I'm sure you have tired legs this morning, but anyone who completed the Ross, you've done something that nobody can take away from you. I still remember my first Ross so, so well. And anytime I get a chance to go back, I will do the Ross again. I've eight in the bag and I would love to go and finish on 10. Nobody can take away what you've done. No matter what you do in your life going forward, you are now a man of the Ross. Congratulations. Roadmen, thanks for tuning in. I'm going to be back again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're getting value from the podcast, can I ask you for one small favor before you head about your day? Can you make a point of sharing episodes that you have enjoyed with friends who you think need to hear that message? Or better yet, if you get the episode link and share it into a club, Facebook or WhatsApp group, whatever your particular club is using. I truly believe that we're building something valuable and something special here on the Roadman Cycling Podcast. But I need your help. I need the help of every single Roadman Cycling Podcast listener to spread the word. It is much appreciated, Roadman.